This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. You would pray with me, please. Oh, Father God, we ask that you would pour out upon us afresh your Holy Spirit. Would you, would you quicken our hearts to your word? May you fill us and empower us for the mission of the gospel. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I'm terribly afraid that for congregations assembled listening to sermons at ordination, it rather feels like you're eavesdropping on a private conversation in which some veteran of ministry exhorts and encourages those who are embarking on the, the adventure. And this one is no exception, so welcome eavesdroppers. But even as I largely address Jess and Josh today, what is true for them in their particular calling to serve the Lord in his church is true for all of us, lay and ordained alike. So Josh and Jess and all you who are listening in, I have four things to say to you coming out of our reading from Isaiah from his call to ministry. The first thing is this, what motivated Isaiah to respond, here I am, Lord, send me? What moved Isaiah? Well, he tells us, he says so. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, I saw the Lord. Isaiah asks to be sent to serve because he saw the Lord, because he encountered the living God. The first thing I want to say to you, that both of you, is that your ministry, your calling, is founded on and sustained by your encounter with the living Lord. Always remember this. He has already made himself known to you. He always wants to make himself known to us. The witness of the scriptures remind us that. The witness of Isaiah here in this particular scripture reminds us of that. The witness of the incarnation reminds us that he wants to encounter us, to be close to us. He has already made himself known to you and he will continue to do so. This is what empowers your life and your mission. And remember, remember that this empowerment, this encounter is grace. It's the action of God towards you. Some years ago, I was meeting with a spiritual direction client who was talking to me about a very remarkable prayer experience he had with the Lord. And uh, I asked him, I said, and it was, the, it was a turning point in his life, this incredible turning point in his life. And I asked him, so what made the difference? What went, made the turning point for you? And he said, well, um, I realized that Jesus loves me. And I said, 
I beg to differ. That's not what the turning point was. The turning point was that Jesus first came to meet you. It was the action of God coming to meet you that brought you that realization. God is reaching out to us. And here's the struggle about the sustenance of the encounter of God in your ministry. As you grow in experience and skills and wisdom, you will be tempted, I can guarantee, you will be tempted to think that you are sustained by your insight, wisdom, or competence. And this will be disastrous for you. Your wisdom or competence, as amazing as it might be, I can assure you is not equal to the task that is before you. In this vision of the Lord, in our encounter with Him, and in our ongoing encounters with the Lord, they fix our attention on what our hope and salvation is, and it's Jesus Himself, none other. I know that you know this, but if you are anything like me, you will forget it sometimes. So I am reminding us. But even as Isaiah has this vision of the Lord, what does he see? What does he see? Well, he sees a couple of things. He sees, he sees that God, that the Lord is king. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. God who is sovereign, hear this church of God when you are anxious and Jess and Josh when you are fearful about things in your life or things in the world or everything going to hell in a handbasket, the Lord is on his throne. He is king. He is sovereign. I'm always struck by that fantastic um, uh, hymn. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong, Seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. That's the first thing that Isaiah sees about God. He sees also that God is big. God is big. And he's bigger than you think. Here in this text, it says, the hem, the hem, mind you, the hem of his robe filled the temple. As a young Christian, I was taken aback by a fairly old book um, written by J.B. Phillips in the 1950s, Your God is Too Small. And this vision of Isaiah reminds us that God is huge, that God is big, and God is bigger than you think. And, he's, and that's always true. Every time I think, oh, I finally understand the magnitude of who God is, I discover some months or years down the road, I was mistaken. He is bigger yet. And not only is God, of course, king, and that he's huge, he's big, God, do not forget, my dear beloved brother and sister, that God is powerful. He's powerful. I love this text because the pivots of the threshold shook at the voices of the ones who called, not the Lord himself, the ones who called, just the seraphs. The power of the holiness of the seraphs is enough to shake the thresholds. The massive stone threshold of the temple shook at the voice of the servants, the messengers. Think what the voice of the Lord could do. You will be faced in your ministry with any number 
of unexpected and impossible tasks and situations, and again, for which you are simply not equal, oh well, because there is one who is a powerful God. So that's my first thing to tell you, that your ministry, your calling is founded on and sustained by your encounter with this sovereign, holy, big, and powerful God. Do everything you can to fix your attention on Him. The second thing is this, second of four things, you are now and will always be in need of His saving grace. What is Isaiah's response to this fantastic vision? What is his response? Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. We all know this, but I'm going to remind you that, um, just a reminder to you, ordination does not convey sinlessness to you. (laughs) We will always struggle with sin in our lives and our brokenness, our fallenness. Um, this side of glory, you will always need the cleansing blood of Jesus. Now, there are two ways we can receive this perhaps disappointing fact. Um, One is sin-focused, and the other is grace-focused. The sin-focused, which is ultimately self-focused, will leave you in a place in your ministry, and the evil one will tempt you to this, where you will be overwhelmed and obsessed by your sinfulness and your failure. You will be despairing and you will be asking the question, will I ever overcome? And that is exactly the wrong question because he is the overcomer. Sin, while very real and deeply problematic in our lives, is not the biggest thing here. Jesus is. So woe is me is grace-focused. It's Jesus-centered because it looks at the salvation that is in our midst. Look at what God does in this text in Isaiah. Then one of the seraphs flew to me holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And the seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. The remedy to our sin, the solace for our woe, Jesus himself is in our midst. The blood has been shed. My response, of course, to that then is not despair at my failing, but gratitude and adoration for the one who saves me. At the risk of quoting a hymn every whip stitch, um, hear this from beneath the cross of Jesus. And from my stricken heart with tears, two wonders, I confess. The wonders of redeeming love and my, and my unworthiness. My unworthiness, a real thing, is swallowed up in his redeeming love. A love and grace that I and you will always be in need of. Praise the Lord. Third, you are in the same boat and in solidarity with those whom that you serve. I am a man of unclean lips, says Isaiah, and I live among a people of unclean lips. That means we're the same. Sometimes it is easy to forget that solidarity. 
If you continue to read in Isaiah chapter 6, the part after Isaiah says very encouragingly, here I am, send me, the Lord says this, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Here's what's true. They, those whom you serve, whom we serve, do not always hear and respond to the Lord with the joy and alacrity that we would like. But neither do I and neither do you. It is a perennial and human inclination to make us and them distinctions, clergy and laity, although there are orders in the church for a reason. Um, Jews and Gentiles, Romans and barbarians, Christians and pagans, perhaps stealers and anyone else. To be in solidarity with those whom you serve, resist in your speech and in your heart us and them language. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. They don't need Jesus, we do. We are all in the same boat. And doing this, avoiding us and them language, will have the advantage of keeping your heart tender and soft towards those you serve, which is so important. And the last thing, this calling for you is ascending. And in case those of you who are listening in to this little conversation have forgotten what I said at the outset, we are all actually sent. It's not just Joss and Jesh and those people with callers, but we are all sent. The Lord says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Now, sending implies actually going somewhere, leaving one place and going someplace else. You are, and in fact, we are being sent. Jesus himself sends us from the gospel read today. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, what Jesus reminds us here. The harvest is actually plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way, he says. See, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. You know what the difference between Jesus and many of us in the church today? The difference is Jesus has zero expectations that people will just come. Zero. Because he sends people out. Gone are the days in the church when people simply came. I hear those days once existed and must have been wonderful, but they are no more. To be called to ministry, to be called a Christian in our current context, in our culture today, means to go out, not to stay in. And here I wanna say something specifically just to you, Josh and Jess, and the rest of us who are ordained. One of the unique perils of this life 
is that you can easily end up in a place where you only ever talk to Christians. Your entire life is filled with people who already know the Lord. Let me encourage and exhort you always to have something in your life where you regularly engage with those who do not know the Lord. Go. It may be coaching soccer. It may be any number of things, but go and be out there. This last week, Mark Eldridge at Trinity told us a great story about a, a cycling club that he was part of um, in which he got to know over the course of six years this one man. And at a point of crisis in this man's life, he had an opportunity to lead him into a living faith in Jesus Christ. Um, go, be sent. Josh and Jess, as you come to the church today, for the laying on of hands, you are with Isaiah and before us all saying to Jesus, here I am, send me. So, as you say that, I, I say this, may you see the Lord today and throughout your ministry. Remember your own need for grace with gratitude and worship and your solidarity with all whom you serve. And then go, go into the harvest and all for the praise of his glory. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.